the gist. Innovate, scale, succeed. Today we're excited to welcome Melvin Lubega to The Gist. Melvin is the co-founder of the online education platform GoOne, which also happens to be South Africa's first unicorn. He's an actuary by training and an experienced technology entrepreneur and executive who has built businesses that serve customers across the world. Born in Johannesburg to Ugandan parents, Melvin is proud of his Ugandan heritage. He describes himself as one who always had a thirst for learning and scholastic achievement. This is evidenced by him attending St. John's College, the University of Cape Town, and Oxford University all on scholarship. Prior to the startup journey, Melvin worked in investment banking and strategy consulting at Goldman Sachs and the Boston Consulting Group, respectively. So, Melvin, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, welcome to The Gist. Um, to start off with, perhaps yeah. you could just walk us through, <laughs> yeah, you can walk us through who, you, who Melvin is, where you're from, the first venture, how you got to where you are right now. Okay, wow. With so much time we have, I mean, uh, ultimately, I guess who's Melvin? Um, so, Melvin, I guess, is a young African entrepreneur who's passionate about using technology to solve significant problems. And, and I, I think for me, when I think through my professional career, it definitely comes down to impact um, and job creation. Um, and so my professional goal uh, in life is to create 100,000 sustainable jobs. Um, I am sorely far from that at about 500, um, but definitely that's the ambition that I hope to, to attain over my professional career. I mean, you know, if you ask me about my first venture, um, so I grew up in South Africa, parents are Ugandan by origin, um, and I've worked across the continent and, and, and around the world. Um, if you ask me about my first venture, it technically would have been when two, actually. So one, when they first launched the green dustbins in Johannesburg. I don't know if any of you are from Johannesburg, but you know those green dustbins where you put like your rubbish and they come collect them once a week? Yeah. So when those first came out, like everyone was excited. They were all fresh and brand new. But like after three weeks, they all began to smell and stuff. And so I... I, I began a business trying to to wash trying to wash those dustbins. Um, that's why someone wants to pay me to clean a, a dustbin. Who knew? But it made sense at the time. Um, and so definitely probably the earlier venture that the, the earliest venture I did, but the most time I actually made money um, was running a tuck shop in my in my boarding school and high school. But I think the the benefit I had there was it was pre Uber Eats, so I used to get bread from the kitchen and then just buy cheese and bologna and make sandwiches at night and I had this great arbitrage where if I made the sandwiches at the bottom of the stairs the smell would linger across the boarding house everyone knew I was making and selling sandwiches um, <laughs> but you know I guess then very grateful it was before Uber Eats because I definitely would have not been able to maintain or keep up with a debonair's pizza or anything of that nature um, so yeah look I've always been tried to find opportunities to create value and ultimately capture that value, um, which, which which I guess led us to, to our current business now being Go One. Cool, thank you. So I guess suffice to say, <laughs> you've always been an entrepreneur at heart? Yeah, you know, I reflect on this often, just when I think about my journey. And I think I've always wanted to add value in the communities and societies I find myself in. 
I think that's why, you know, throughout my career, or even like my schooling career, I've always been drawn to like leadership positions, whether it's being head boy or SRC or at Oxford being head of African society. Because I always have this need to like serve my community and the community can be clients, can be, and it's almost like a broader definition now where fine, I'm advising some of the, the, the members of parliament and stuff in South Africa. But it's something where I think it's almost been drawn in how does one better serve a community and then for me on the commercial side how do you capture some of the value that you create and so i wouldn't say i've been an entrepreneur at heart but i think i've always had an entrepreneurial mindset um and so probably through that lens i would say it's almost looking at things and asking if they can be done better and if i'm the one that can enable that to be done better more than anything else yeah that's amazing here i think i think the one thing we sort of fully support here at the gist is definitely uh, money and impact. And when they go hand in hand, you can't, have but, you can't help but be happy. What do you guys <laughs> actually do? <laughs> Who are your end users? And, and it's sad that, 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 that neither you nor Tinder end users, but we shall rectify that after this call. Um, <laughs> but suffice it to say, um, so look, ultimately at GoOne, our reason to exist and why we do what we do is to help people unlock a positive potential in themselves through a love for learning. Because look, everyone has positive potential, but they feel that learning and development is a tool to enable that. And so, how we express that is through our go on learning, uh, our go on learning platform or ecosystem. To put it simply, almost a Netflix or corporate training, where we aggregate over hundred thousand learning items, resources, courses in different formats, different styles, topics into one subscription library that we offer to customers. And so typically we're, we're, we're B2B. Um, so we offer to, to organizations, governments, uh, businesses, and so forth, looking to train their staff, volunteers, people, citizens, all that good stuff. And so from there, what we offer is if you want to upskill on a particular, uh, you know, whatever, let's call it skill that you're trying to learn to improve your productivity, be better at your workplace or be more employable, um, we would then offer that via the platform. So come onto the platform, um, and then have the ability to to pick from some of the content you have on the platform, which is some of the best providers in the world. So your Harvard's, Thomson Reuters, like the number of like leading providers that we 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 offer content from on the ecosystem. You know, what was the for you and Andrew? I mean, you know, you're chilling at Oxford. <laughs> um, what was the light bulb moment when you realized that you had something special? That there was an opportunity. Um, particularly in the in the B2B edtech space to kind of create something um, that was scalable. Yeah. And, you know, it's quite prophetic that I guess, you know, like ultimately the formula of the business was a function of the different experiences that the founding team and the co-founders experienced in, in, in their previous lives. And so, you know, Andrew came from a particular background in web development where um, his then girlfriend, now wife, is was a teacher um, and had been building websites with, with high school mates for a number of years and was seeing learning needs. Whereas my exposure from the learning side was more so in the management consulting space and also doing you know early stage investing and realizing that the small businesses thought they weren't big enough to invest in training and development, yet the bigger businesses who were paying lots of money for consultants weren't getting that right. And so it was almost a uh, the same problem, but from different starting points that we that 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 that, that, we, that, that we found the genesis of what of what is going on today. But in the same vein, I think to your question around, you know, what was the spark when you were onto something? I mean, we knew that we've always believed that look, education is the most powerful tool you can use to change someone's economic circumstance. And so for us, from a 
passion and something which we knew if you were able to get right and deliver value in could have a phenomenal impact. It's always been education. For two that we met at an education institution. Um, we we're both um, studying in the UK at the time. And so from that perspective was more so the sharing of those ideas. So we we're both doing um, our master's in education learning technology um, at Oxford. It came down to initially then, how do we offer brighter, more richer learning um, for, 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 for cool because we just had different um, somewhat unpleasant experiences with current tools that existed um, in, the, in the learning space. But ultimately, it was never a point where like, oh my gosh, you know, we're onto something. Um, you know, it's a, as some often say, look, it's a, it's a multi-year overnight success. Um, and so from that perspective, I think one thing is you knew the opportunity was always there. It's always been a function of our execution towards that goal and objective. And by no means have we arrived there today. But we still believe that there's a significant opportunity to be captured. And we think the best way to capture it in our space. It wasn't like a particular moment per se, but more so realizing there's an opportunity to create value um, in that space. I think the one thing, you know, when you were describing kind of what Go One is, um, you know, you talked about being the Netflix. I think the one thing I found quite interesting about your business is that um, you've said, you know, localized content is really important. And it seems like you've been really deliberate about partnering with local content providers, um, somewhat of what Netflix has, has made them really, I think, successful. Why, why was that important for you guys? Why, why is localized content important, particularly around education? Well, so where we focus professional learning, and I think it's interesting where early on we had a strong focus on compliance. And the reality is that compliance is often unique to geography. So, for example, in the UK, you have GDPR, but in South Africa, we have Poppy or Papaya. And so the, for you to remain relevant and add the most value, yes, you can drop a GDPR course and say it's generally the same as Poppy, but you won't be able to actually make someone more employable because it's like you knowing, let's say, anti-money lodging for the US and knowing anti-money lodging for South Africa Knowing the US one would help you be more employable or even be compliant to South Africa. So for us, there's a big element of localization for relevance, but also even in terms of teaching styles. I guess the final thing, okay, the, I guess the final, the final thing I'm saying is like, for certain courses, for example, Microsoft Excel, there's no level of localization because Microsoft sells Microsoft Excel. So the question is, how do you leverage either the best of breed globally and blend that with locally best-in-class content to provide a complete one-stop shop for training. Got you. I guess another question um, that comes to mind for me is around, um, you know, what surprised you most about your growth as a business? I mean, you shared about, you know, how you guys got started, what it is Go One does, but like what's what surprised you so, so far about your journey thus far? I think so surprised, yes, but I think just the quality of, and the caliber of people who've been able to come along with us on that journey. I think whether it's people, whether it is, you know, investors, partners, I mean, it's actually phenomenal thinking about it. I mean, I remember back in the early days where like, you know, you're literally begging people to like partner with you, but now we're at the point where like people are actually like, you know, it's, it's, it's the other way around. And so just seeing that, I think it's really been a function that people have been able to attract because, you know, coming from, and like as you know, you know, coming from an environment, let's say like, I don't know, yeah, so worked in investment banking, London, Goldman Sachs, to the management consulting thing, BCG. These are environments of like, you know, highly paid, you know, highly, highly proficient people. And I think very early on in our journey, you know, just being able to attract talent because they've been what we're trying to build and they could see the vision as well. 
I think it's something which, um, for me, you know, it's easy to believe your own hype early on, but I think definitely staying true to the cause and just being true about where you see things on what you want to build. I think just that vulnerability and the ability and how that's enabled us to attract good people. Um, for me, that's been not surprising, but just surprising just the quality of people that we have in the business today. And so that for me is, 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 is yeah, something which, you know, coming from a corporate environment, I, I, I took for granted just the ability to mobilize people um, on, on, on different things. So that was definitely a big surprise. I think the other one is just more so, you know, something which I often task my managers to do is to look at their their diaries um, or look at their day-to-day a year ago and see if they're doing the same things or dealing with the same things that they're dealing with then. Because if they're dealing with the same things that they're dealing with that they were then, they probably haven't grown or they're still micromanaging or they haven't necessarily grown their people around them. And so for me, just seeing the growth of our people I mean, look, in five years, six years, isn't a long period of time, but just seeing how some of our, you know, early team members have grown to head up very large teams and just seeing their development as well. Um, again, not necessarily surprising, but definitely encouraging. I think it's something where, you know, people often say like, you know, but in corporate, you need to do your time and do X number of years to get to this level. But I think there's something to be said around just spending time, you know, at the coal face and what that does for your growth and development. And I think for me, that's definitely been, although it's not, I look back, both in surprise and inspiration. No, that's amazing. I feel as if we've kind of been hearing this a lot, I guess, this season with a lot of our founders really around the, the idea of human capital and ensuring that obviously you have the right people in the right spaces. Do, do you think when you first started, this is something you really spend a lot of time thinking about or it just was one of those natural things where with trial and error, you sort of got to where you are? Oh, no, 100%. I mean, spent lots of time thinking about it. I mean, like, so <clears throat> at the beginning of the business, um, um, I used to head up all our sales, revenue generation, partnerships, and so forth. And I mean, there, like, in, it's interesting. In the sales world, when someone is good or bad, it's very clear in their numbers. But I think it comes down to the kind of culture you want to build, the kind of company you want to build. And same way, even when you think about, you know, picking partners in a business um, or even the investors you bring on board. I think there's, there's so many different levels of how, you know, as, 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 as an entrepreneur, you have ways to actually curate, build, and develop um, the people and also the enabling environment that your people will thrive in. And so for us, it's always been intentional. And look, it's not without its false starts and its missteps because the reality is, you know, we were building a business and also learning and building as professionals ourselves in the business. I mean, so we have, from very early on in our journey, been a remote or dispersed team. You know, we, from early on, we had teams in SA, we had teams in Australia, we had teams in Vietnam. And again, just trying to build a coherent culture across those different geographies wasn't necessarily, <clears throat> wasn't an, it wasn't an easy, easy feat per se where it just happened organically. It was about being intentional about reinforcing cultural norms and creating one culture that was supportive of one team, which is a big value of ours as an organization. So it wasn't necessarily per chance, but something which we definitely have not only applied ourselves to a lot, but also learned a lot from on the journey. That's a really good reflection. Maybe just switching gears a bit. Um, you know, we've all heard of the big five. Um, many people are probably not as familiar with the great big unicorns. Um, how does it feel being, um, you know, South Africa's first unicorn? And um, yeah, explain to our listeners kind of what, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be a unicorn? This new status that you guys have just recently achieved. Um, so I guess for me, 
a let's call it startup community perspective um what has become i guess a term now in this ecosystem has been what is termed as you said the unicorn and essentially it's a a, a startup that is valued at over a billion dollars um and i think look for us look it's it's it's, it's truly humbling um and i think it speaks to the point i mentioned earlier just the validation of the the, the work that the team has been doing for for the last six years in terms of just building out the platform um, because, you know, it's been the same culture, same people just moving towards the goal and, and, and growing further to it. Look, it's, it's a big number, as I mentioned, but with it comes a big responsibility. And so from that perspective, um, yeah, we've got some, we've got, we've got some big things to do, but definitely excited for the next phase of growth. I think for us, I mentioned earlier that, you know, the potential of the opportunity, particularly in our space, you know, being like, you know, education, learning and development, particularly when it comes down to professional learning is a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and so for us, we know that there's a lot more growth to take place. But I think to the point around, you know, mythical creatures and unicorns, um, it definitely is a is a good validation of the work we've been doing thus far in terms of valuation. No, it definitely, definitely is. Um, I, I know we had this conversation at some point around fundraising and, and, and African fundraising and why you really don't see as many Africans or African-funded um, firms really doing the most in the sector um, I mean at this point you've obviously gone through quite a few funding rounds uh, with the most recent really making you a unicorn what sort of key lessons have you learned through these fundraisings um, but also your latest funding round or what will you guys be using that for yeah look like there's, there's probably a whole, whole dissertation behind the question of like what one's learned from fundraising I mean um, but look there are many things right I think the key thing is people invest in people and, you know, it's easy to say, like, you know, you're talking about, like, mega corporations and big investors, but ultimately people invest in people. And I think just one's ability to connect, being aligned in values, being able to show that you and your team can execute, you know, all those things one takes for granted. Um, it's, it's ultimately people. Because behind every corporation, behind GoOne, there are people. Behind SoftBank, there are people. Behind Social Ventures, there are people. Airtree, there are people. And so it's a big thing not to get lost in the, in the technicalities of a deal and a transaction. And so for us, it was always thinking through, you know, who are the partners or what kind of partner would we want to enable the next phase of growth? And where's the next phase of growth from, was from us going from, you know, after doing Y Combinator to, to, to getting to our initial traction from revenue perspective, whether it was to scaling our business or even from us where we are now in terms of the next growth phase you want to go into. There's a different type of partner one requires for each part of those journeys. And it's about being very clear, I think, as, as entrepreneurs and as, and, and as founders in the business, to know exactly what that looks like. And in that way, you're then also able to use that as a way to determine who the investors you want to bring on board. And I think for us, it has been a journey. And, you know, people, I think often, you know, startup entrepreneurs when you raise money, we don't do enough work to understand our investors or the potential investors we approach. That being said, we've been very fortunate. I mean, early on, you know, you'd, you'd have like a hundred meetings just to get to, to, to sign term sheets. Whereas now, as you've grown and scaled, and very fortunate to have um, considerably uh, more interest in the business and, 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 and the tables turning in that particular way. But it's definitely been an interesting journey. But I think definitely from learnings, I think it's about, if you ask me the question, I think one, people invest in people. So don't discount the other person you're speaking to. And people have motives, emotions, fears, and understanding those will help you find, one, the right partner, but two, even if you have, if you have a partner, get the most value from the relationship. I think... I think, uh, I think too, is almost a function of, you know, again, knowing what you want and need in a partner 
And, you know, I said, like, look, you know, getting investors like like getting married. You want to almost understand each other. You want to be able to go through the courting stages. But ultimately, when you want to commit, you want to know that you're committing to the right person and that person. And so for us, it's been very intentional. And I think ultimately, again, like, and something which I reflect on as well is, you know, raising venture capital isn't necessarily right for all types of businesses. And I think it's something which, you know, one or one needs to bear in mind because, you know, I remember at one point in our journey, we, had, we were in flexion, but we said to ourselves, like, look, you know, we both the face as a business and we can, and we can, and we can continue on our organic growth path, or we can, you know, raise some additional venture capital and really like scale our growth. And it's about being clear about what your ambitions are and what you want to achieve in the business um, to be able to determine like, look, is venture capital right? Do I actually need more debt? Do I need like, you know, revenue-based debt? Do I need grant money? And so I think it's easy to get in the happy loop of raising capital, but it's about being very intentional about where that's the right thing for you to do, given where your organization is and the kind of ambition you have for your business. Um, in terms of where we're at now, I mean, as I mentioned to you, we're still very early in our journey. We say internally, like, look, this is this is day one, because the reality is, you know, internally we say we want to um, train a, a billion learners globally. And so, you know, a few last month we celebrated um, having 3.5 million active learners in the platform. Um, and so we're very, again, quite a far way away from a billion. And so for us, this is day one, but it's about saying, how do we use the capital we've raised now to further that mission of unlocking positive potential and people through a love for learning? And so in that, we're going to be doubling down on the markets that we currently are in and, you know, growing the teams there organically in the same vein, also to the question I asked earlier, exploring new markets, particularly those that are ancillary. So, you know, doing a bit more on the continent in Africa, thinking about continental Europe as well, um, and in that particular way. But in the same vein, also just deepening our our product offering and the types of content <clears throat> that we that we offer in the platform. So uh, we announced the other week a strategic investment in a company called Noah, which is a Dublin-based um, a, a Dublin-based uh, media group. And so what they're really well known for is, is is news over Noah stands for news over audio. But essentially, the leaders in the space of you know, bite-sized news from some of the leading providers and leading news sources from around the world. Because, you know, people learn a lot through, you know, news and current affairs and so forth, especially in a professional setting. And just thinking through how best do we further that mission um, of positive potential. And so we'll use the, the funds accordingly in that way. No, amazing. That's super insightful. And also congratulations on the users. Thank you. I think maybe sort of just taking a bit of a, um, a sort of a shift um, something that sort of piqued uh, my interest in the news lately, to be honest, considering that this is how I made all of my money when I lived in China, was um, China recently banned commercial tutoring and essentially appended a $100 billion industry in an attempt to call education inequalities, well, at least according to them, obviously. Um, so I guess when we think vastly different to what we think uh, we think about what, when we speak about access um, to resources and the democratization of education through technology. A couple of questions for you on this. Um, one, what's your view of this? What's your view on this? Do you, do you ever see a scenario where, I guess, Goan would ever be affected by this? And then secondly, and maybe I think you might have answered this a little bit, um, do you ever see Goan ever entering the pre-tertiary market where a lot of outcomes are decided within the South African and the African um, education context? Yeah, look, I mean, um, if you're saying you made lots of your money when you were in China tutoring, I, I know you made a good amount of money because 
I was so I did my my second master's at my first master. I did research in China and spent a few months there. Everyone was just making so much money teaching English, and I was felt like, <laughs> should I be like dropping right, my like, so masters, my my Oxford master's dissertation and just focusing on teaching English? Because the return profile was very different at the time. Um, and I think, look, it is a very big industry. And I think, you know, especially English language learning as an example in China, phenomenally large industry, even from a population perspective. But just generally, the focus and prioritization that Chinese culture and people put on education um, is, is phenomenal. And, and I think, and therein lies the pressure from an inequality perspective, where, you know, the consumer surplus that is taken up by educational providers in China is phenomenal just because parents are going to pay so much for example to get their children ready for the Gaokao so they're like big university entrance exam as an example so the idea is that the capitalist approach to you know capturing consumer surplus has created inequalities where those with the money can't afford to pay and get their kids better training and preparation for exams to the point where they can um, exceed those that don't necessarily have the same resourcing so I, I think it's, it's also unique to the construct of China, given just the melting part of different things that I've mentioned before. And so I, I, I wouldn't say like it's, and look, obviously the devil's in the detail way, look, as you mentioned, they're focusing on um, extra lesson type tutoring and private tutoring more than anything else, which I guess is outside of the core system. Um, and I think what the challenge they're seeing is that that has created a level of exclusion inequality or exacerbated inequality. I, I, I wonder if like, you know, look, I think will that affect go one? I think it definitely will only because the reality is that, you know, one of the regulations I think was that I think private tutoring companies aren't allowed to IPO, I believe it is, or risk capital to public markets. And so that will significantly impact many of the early stage investors that were investing in tech companies in China thinking they're going to make an exit in IPOing, as an example. And so that will obviously impact the general sentiment towards emerging markets and tech. Um, I mean, I don't think we're expecting the same level of coordination from, let's say, some of the countries we operate in terms of um, in terms of, like, say, the African continent. But, look, we're still very excited by the opportunity that exists in China just because it is such a large market and, you know, we've explored a few partnerships there as well and something we're looking to deepen over the coming years because the opportunity is still quite phenomenal. Um, and, you know, to, I guess to your question, though, our focus is more on professional learning. So we want learning that will enable you to have greater economic or employability, or employability opportunities and so we don't see in, in our in, in our medium to short term a focus on pre on let's say pre tertiary as you as you as you as you termed it. That being said, I mean like look, we we do train a lot of teachers. I mean, some of our partners in our ecosystem. I mean, probably one out of four teachers in certain states in Australia are using Go One for certain training and courses that they need to take, as an example. So we are, I guess, having our impact in let's say you know second gen primary education but not necessarily directly. It's almost in saying investing in the teachers and professionals that enable that to take place, which again, since I must make my degree go for something, if you look at some of the um, so context, my degree um, was in education learning technology, focusing a lot on the education side of things. And so, but you realize in some of the countries, let's say like Finland, who has phenomenal and is the world leader when it comes down to educational outcomes, some of the studies show that it was the investment in the teachers and teaching as a profession that enabled them to actually achieve what they achieved. Um, and mm. so we hope that by doing so in our own way, we're contributing to that. Um, but also we realize enough, like, look, we're able, we, we know B2B SaaS and B2B um, HR and tech. And so from that perspective, it's where we're able to play well, um, but we don't suspect in the future that we may necessarily preclude pre-tertiary education as well.
That makes a lot of sense. You're leaving the door open. That's a very entrepreneurial (laughs) to have, not closing the door or anything. Um, I guess, I guess, you know, thinking about looking at the outlook of, of the ed tech space, I mean, I think it is an area that is growing rapidly, that is becoming, you know, increasingly competitive as you see different type of models, um, you know, looking at uh, B2C, but also B2B and kind of breadth and depth of access to education. Um, for you, Melvin, I mean, what are you most excited about as you think about the growth and opportunities in this sector? So it's interesting one way. I think, you know, like education is such a such a high impact area in terms of like, you know, impact and, so, and like just development and change. And, you know, when you think about it as a as, as standalone, but there's so much opportunity in terms of digitization. And if you think about the pandemic, what sadly the pandemic highlighted is just how vast like the digital divide is and by digital divide i mean the divide between those that have digital access versus those that don't and and, and i think it's been more acute in the emerging markets particularly on the continent of africa where that has been felt and so i think even with something like education which is often seen as like you know a basic right and a must have i think there's a lot of opportunity to unlock that and i think people being able to build context specific and relevant solutions to bespoke problems in the educational ecosystem will do very very well because education is one of those things which you both you can you can both do well and do good at the same time if that makes sense and i think just having the some of the smartest minds applying themselves or being attracted to that space i think will do the area phenomenally well um in terms of the development of what we're expecting so i'm very excited for edtech globally but even more so on the african continent just because of the amount of opportunities and also what you're seeing more and more entrepreneurs coming to the fore in that space. That's, that's exciting. Um, I think we completely share your sentiment. Um, I guess would love to ask you if you had for our listeners and I guess other entrepreneurs who are thinking about going on this journey or joining a go one for their career, what are like three pieces of advice that you wish somebody had told you or, or that you kind of hold hold on to yeah and you know like I mentioned you know before we started recording I think just the sharing school fees as it were I think you know ultimately I'm a big fan of making new mistakes um and so I want to learn from other people and I mean just from our journey to date something has stood out to me um so you know and this is maybe something which one can reflect on you know and so I know that both um you know Butler and Butler you know um, highly educated, you know, extremely successful. Um, and I remember someone at Oxford once told me, you know, you know, maybe we're too educated to be successful. Um, and it comes to the point of, you know, if you don't necessarily put yourself out there and apply yourself fully to what you're doing because you have outside options, because you can always go back to the company corporate job or whatever it is, if you want to be an entrepreneur, as an example. And I think for me, it just comes down to the point of not, and I see this in two ways. So one is not necessarily relying on perfection. Something I used to struggle with very early on um, in, in building up the business was, you know, some, some things which I learned in my consulting days around, like, you know, not being direct with people. So, like, if I disagreed with someone in my team, I'd almost, like, you know, corral, get them over the line, you know, why don't you think about this way? Should I have the right approach? As opposed to being, like, no, your idea stinks. We're not going to do that. And I think it's those small things which... <laughs> 
um, I had to work out because I, I, I was like in consulting. I was, I was a king for that because you could tell a client, you know, get them on site, co-create and build something of value. Whereas in a business where you have limited runway, you're early, you're small, and you have to like really punch box smart above your weight. You know, sometimes it's, you know, keeping the main thing, the main thing, and it's not about feelings, it's about being, you know, having candor and respectful way. It's something which I took for granted. And so for me, that's almost like the whole narrative of, you know, done is better than perfect. Um, and, you know, you think of an analogy where, you know, when Amazon began, there was actually a point in time where their shopping cart in the first version was actually off. So you could actually order negative books. So I guess the assumption was that, you know, you could technically um, take your books to Amazon and they'd pay you for them, um, as an example. Um, and so it's those small things which I think in tech, you know, um, you know, speak to someone like um, Reid Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn. He often says, you know, if you aren't embarrassed by your first release of your product, you've released too late. And I think there's something to be said about having a bias towards action in, in, in building out a business. That's one of the key learnings I'd say over my journey is being having a bias towards action and, you know, getting going rather than, than standing still. I think in the same vein, you know, something which I can't appreciate, especially I'm very grateful for the team I've had and, the, and, and my partners in the business is, you know, no man is an island. And I think, you know, being able to collaborate with us, the partners, with co-founders, it, it can transform, you know, rather 50% of nothing than 100% of, no, oh, 50% of something, 100% of nothing. And so for me, just the importance of having team members whose skills are complementary to my own um, and even just like temperament complementary to my own has been something which I, I took for granted because, you know, growing up in a society where everyone's like, you know, I, me, be the leader, be the head boy, be the head girl, be the person. I think the importance of collaboration and going on the journey with other people changes the experience totally. And so very grateful for, for the decisions you made early on um, in that particular way. And the final one is one which I think applies even outside of the, 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 the entrepreneurial setting where, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, success comes in opportunity meets separation. And I think, you know, if you, if you want to go somewhere, whether that's even a personal career in a corporate or as an entrepreneur, the question you have to ask yourself is, what are you doing to prepare yourself for that opportunity? Like, how are you prepared for that next level that you want to get in your life? And I think for me, just as an entrepreneur, just thinking through, you know, given our ambitions as, a, as an organization, as, even as individuals, like making sure that we are continually growing and preparing ourselves for that next level of growth has been highly impactful because when you meet that Microsoft executive in an elevator, you can lay down your pitch really strongly. Or when you happen to come across someone who you think would be grateful for your team, you have a clear sense of how they could fit into your organization and come along the journey with you. And I think it's something to sit around that preparation because you can't necessarily control for the opportunity side of things. Those would probably be the three things that I would say uh, would, be, would be key for my journey. I think one, just, you know, have a bias towards action because done is better than perfect. Two, um, you know, no man is an island. And so through that, I believe collaboration is the ultimate key to success. And three, just making sure that you're preparing for what you expect next in your in your journey. Yeah, you know, just start you know. collaboration and fortune favors the well-prepared. I, I, can, I can definitely get behind that. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, I mean, Melvin, I mean, I think from, from our end, I mean, I think, um, I think, think I mean, that's it. I mean, I, I don't have any other questions. B, I don't know if you do. No, I, def- I don't. But I think this has been super insightful. It's really amazing seeing all the, the great things that GoOne is actually doing um, to sort of obviously link more consumers, link more users and, and increase access, to be honest. Um, I think that's something that like we just were so behind as a continent. And so even with your scaling ambitions, it's, it's so great to hear that this is something you guys are going to be concentrating on. 100%. You know, really shout out to you guys for what you guys are doing on this platform. I think, you know, one, telling the narrative, but also I think taking a different perspective on the narrative is so important. Definitely. Well, Marvin, thank you so much uh, for your time. 
uh, we'll be buying the book. Just let us know. We'll pre-order it <laughs> as soon as soon as possible. No, no, no. Thank you very much. Thank you, and good luck to you and your team. We'll be cheering you guys on, but excited to see um, how Go One just continues to grow and scale um, and impact um, here on the continent, but globally. We're, we're really excited to see it. The GIST is creating new African narratives through disseminating key lessons and best practices from some of the continent's leading entrepreneurs and businesses.